0: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Froke. I'm here with my co host, Nick Sigelski, and today we have the one and only Mr. Anthony
1: Natoli, a newly ramped Crushing It account executive over at Outreach. Nick, why should people listen? This was one of the best prospecting episodes from a sequence structure like daily schedule operating perspective. If you're a salesperson, you're like, man, I don't have a big enough book or I got rejected by some of the accounts in my territory. How am I going to go back and try to sell them again? You got to listen to Anthony because the amount of rigor that he's put around his prospecting process is seriously impressive. Three, two, one, rigorous episode.
0: This actionable tactic on selling to power is sponsored by Salesloft. Don't start from zero when a champion introduces you to power. Explain the three to four priorities you learn from the champion, but then ask them to validate what's really important to them or what we miss. And we partnered with Salesloft to give you a whole bunch of talk tracks on selling to power. The link is in the show notes.
1: All right, Anthony, welcome to the show. We start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways. So let's get your three.
2: So number one, know the top three things that your account CEO, CRO, or any other C-level team member is talking about to their team daily. An example of how I do this is oftentimes digging into an account's 10K. For example, not only am I reading and listening to the investor presentation, I'm listening for analyst questions back to the CEO. For example, a company that I was working with, they hit 150 million in ARR, and a huge initiative for them was figuring out how do they build enough pipeline and sustain growth to get to that 250 million, that 500, and ultimately that 1 billion ARR mark per year. So I'm now using that as a reason why to reach out to that account, and I know that's exactly what the C-level is focused on.
1: Beautiful. Anthony,
2: what's number two? Number two. So this ties back into number one, but based on that research, create a hypothesis of why you're reaching out. So based on the research that I've done from that 10K or maybe understanding what customers that they're selling to or personas, I can now develop a hypothesis of why I'm reaching out to that account in my account plan. So for example, I can now say, hey, this is exactly why outreach is going to be a good fit for their business based on me knowing that they need to build enough pipeline to generate enough revenue to take them from 150 million to a billion in ARR each year.
1: Very nice. Round us out, Anthony. What's number three?
2: So number three is building a system and a framework for prospecting. So this goes for SDRs, but especially for AEs. So if you have a system and a framework in place, it allows you to do two things. Number one, you have to hold yourself accountable because it's only a certain amount of accounts that you're focused on each week. And so for example, what I like to do is I like to select two accounts per week, and this could be more or less depending on the segment that you're in. But for us, we do two accounts per week We do five or more people within those two accounts and sequence them. And for AEs, we like to focus on the VP level and above. I let the research that I've done from number one and number two guide my messaging strategy for those specific target accounts. So Anthony, you're going above the line. Are
0: you having your SDRs work below the line? Or are there other ways that you're collaborating with your SDRs to break into these accounts?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. So because we're doing these account plans and creating these hypotheses of why we should be reaching out, this is something that I'm talking to my SDR with on every one of our one-on-one meetings. And so I'll probably take the -the above-the-line folks and have them take the -the on-the-line, maybe the directors and below at that account, but they're still using the same messaging that we've developed in that hypothesis from the account plan. And so they're laser focused on the why they're reaching out as well. Could you give me a sense of what goes into an account plan? Yeah. So there's a few different things. Depending on the personas that you're reaching out to, you need to map out those individuals. So we have something called that outreach called Model T. And each of those letters stand for a different persona. So marketing, operations, sales development, leadership, Enablement and then executive leadership are those pillars. And then I go in and I look at all the above the line and all the below the line contacts for each of those personas. That's the first thing that I'm doing to map out the organization, is getting all the above the line, all the below the line individuals at that account. Then I'm digging into the 10 Ks or I'm looking at which of their competitors are currently customers and how are we helping them solve problems? Because they probably are running into the same issues. Or what types of companies are they selling to? What kind of personas are they selling to? And then creating this hypothesis of how is outreach going to even help this customer in the first place? What problems are we even solving for? And then I'll go into any recent news. So for example, a company that I was working with, a CEO did an article yesterday where they said, they're moving entirely to remote, even though people are going back to the office, they're fully remote. Hmm. That's interesting to me. I can use that in my hypothesis. And so using that, all that information, I now have a really good understanding of what problems maybe the executives care about, who I need to be reaching out to. And now all I need to do is go execute. And so that helps me guide my framework for my prospecting. And then it also helps with, um, if once I book a meeting, I know exactly what to be chatting about in that initial call.
1: Anthony, one of the things I've been super focused on recently is, is something we call the art of the segue. And the art of the segue is the idea of you find some interesting nugget about the account or prospect you're reaching out to. And you use that to get your their attention in your prospecting email or prospecting message. And then you have to tie that interesting thing that you found to how your thing can help, aka the hypothesis that you're talking about. I've been an outreach customer for a while, and like I understand the benefits that it it has for me. How do you tie CEO says whole company is going remote to, hey, here's the way that outreach could help you. Like, how do you actually connect those two?
2: Yeah, so for me, one of the things that we do is like conversational intelligence or gaining insight into what our reps are doing, where are the gaps. And when you're remote, it becomes very hard to like really know what's going on if you're not hearing your reps every day. So giving managers insight into data and to like, hey, how many accounts are they covering? What are the responses that we're getting? Where are the gaps in these deals? Enabling them in real time when they're on calls to ensure that they have all the information they need to win that deal. Because if you're working in the office, you can hear your reps. You can see what they're doing. You can you can pat them on the back, say good job.
1: One more question for you. So you don't have this huge book of accounts. You literally have a list of 40 accounts that you have to try to break into to hit your number, and so I'm curious about the way that you've set your sequences up to hit the context that you're going after, because like what I've normally done, I've got 800 accounts that I can go after. Like my first email is is really tailored, and I bubble that one up a couple times, and then from there I sort of go in like this call auto email sequence, and so. You have a very small book and if you blow an account, like it's tough to keep going back to them when they've already rejected you. So how have you set up your sequences for like your smaller book?
2: Yeah, they are more manual touches, less automation, especially knowing that I'm reaching out to VPs and above and I'm selling to the sales persona. They could sniff out very quickly, like what's automated, what's not. And so for me, my first step is a triple touch. It's That personalized email and my framework for that email is the subject line is either personalized, it's funny, it's clickbaity, it's human, right? The goal is to get them to open it. And then I use my hypothesis from the account plan in that first line of the email. And the second is the common challenges that we hear for their persona or their company. And then the third line is how we help solve that problem and then it's interest-based call to action. And the reason I dove into that email is because it's a very important first email. It gets a lot of opens because it's hyper-personalized and I've done the research. And so it's three sentences, 100 words or less, and I've got a a 45% open rate on that email. That's wild.
0: Can you tell me a little bit more about, you mentioned you're doing something clickbaity or personalized, what have you. What are you doing in your subject line or your preview text? to make sure that someone opens it?
2: Something interesting that I've done is I started to reach out to actual individual reps on their team to get some insight. And then what I'll say is, Michael told me, dot, dot, dot. And then in the body, it's dot, 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 that you're really struggling to build enough pipeline for the next two quarters. And so it's like, what do you mean, Michael Michael told me? It gets them to open it. One of them I saw They're big fans of the Bulls. And so I said, Michael Jordan and sales engagement. I forget exactly how I did it, but I I tied in Michael Jordan and sales engagement. Another example was uh, the South Carolina head basketball coach had got fired. So I said, outreach in the Gamecocks. And I said, the South Carolina Gamecocks basketball organization had to go in a different direction. Their current head coach just wasn't getting the results that they needed. And then I tied it back to, I've heard from your team for these reasons that competitor X is also not getting the same results to drive growth in your organization. And then trying to tie back that that personalization, but also make it relevant. So what, what's
0: fascinating is a lot of these things, like the Gamecocks, for example, they have nothing to do with sending emails or coaching your reps, nothing at all. And that is Okay, because the subject line and the first line are meant to get someone to open the email and keep reading. But then you're not just saying, hey, it's the Gamecocks. Outreach helps you do this better. You are, to Nick's point, segueing those things effectively. Okay, so those are really good subject lines, and it doesn't matter necessarily the topic. What are some examples that you've seen at outreach or with outreach customers who are getting on for the first time? of subject lines that are not great or things that reps should stop doing related to subject
2: lines. If I'm reaching out to pave, like the one that I hate is outreach plus pave or outreach arrows pave. The other thing is like yeah, I saw I saw an email like it was something with to do with cheese and someone on their LinkedIn says like I love cheese and then someone puts in the subject line like cheese and then they don't mention cheese at all in the, in the email. And it's like the worst subject lines and the worst emails are when you mention something and then you don't, you don't at all tie it back together. I always say this. It's like, it's not enough to know that someone likes cheese, like you have to make it relevant. And that's why, you know, I find it so interesting. I think three years ago, there was this big emphasis on direct mail and you sent someone a mug from their college. And then you don't mention at all how you knowing where they went to school is relevant at all to where, you can help. And so I think that the secret sauce is tying those things together where if I just sent that guy from South Carolina a a Gamecocks mug, he's going to be like, this stinks. I'm reaching out to CROs. It's got to catch their attention and be relevant. Anthony, I'm curious on this vein. After the
0: segue, you mentioned you reach out to CROs and I get pulled in a couple different directions sometimes because I know I'm supposed to be quote unquote crispy in the way that I describe. The value prop or the problems my prospect has, right? But I also know that CROs can be old and stodgy and they don't want to hear about how many clicks it takes for an SDR to send an email when outreach can automate half of that stuff. They're like, no, I want my team to send all those emails by hand and personalize them. And so how do you think about the level of detail or fidelity, or what types of problems you're describing when you're emailing a CRO?
2: Yeah, it's so true. What's interesting, I learned very quickly at outreach is that CROs don't care about sequences. They don't care about reply rates. They care, are my reps building enough pipeline? So you need to know what outcomes that CROs typically care about, and then you need to talk about that in your emails. And in your cold calls too, because that's what gets people, that's what like keeps CROs up at night. And I hate to sound cliche saying that, but I even talk to my CRO sometimes and I paid very close attention to what they're saying in our all, all hands meetings. What are the people in my own organization talking about that I could also relate to? We need to build more pipeline. We're a pre-IPO company. In order to sustain growth, we need more pipeline. And if we don't have enough pipeline, there are high and heavy implications for that. And so I try to make them feel an emotion in my email by bringing up things that they really actually care about. So I'm not talking about how we can help you send more emails to a CRO. I'm talking about, hey, I know that you guys are 30% behind in pipeline and you need to get to $200 million in annual revenue this year. How are you ensuring that your reps have the right tools to build enough pipeline to get there? And what happens if you don't, that's something a CRO is like, maybe, maybe doesn't get them to respond right away, but they, they know your name now. And it makes that call that you do a little easier, that LinkedIn touch or that next email a little bit more receptive.
1: Can you talk about the, the touches deeper into the sequence? So you've given us some really good detail on that first email. They don't respond. What comes next in
2: your outreach approach? I touch on this quickly but I do a triple touch on the first on day 1. It's email, it's phone and it's also LinkedIn. And I do the LinkedIn last and I say, "Hey, I shot you an email and I gave you a call. I wanted to put a face to the name." And that's all I say. It's not this super crazy personalized note. I'm being human. "Hey, I'm here. Like this is the guy that that emailed you." And then a couple things happen after that. So if they read my email 3 or more times, I'll call them again on day three. But if it goes unopened, Armand, I know you love this one. It's the the any thoughts. It's the any thoughts bump. And then I continue continue to call. I'll also view the profile on LinkedIn if they've accepted. I'll start engaging with content, but I'm not asking for anything. And while I'm doing this, all my CTAs are interest-based. I'm not like, hey, can you give me 30 minutes? I usually say like, in my call to actions, hey, I know you're a CRO. I'm not expecting you to give me 30 minutes right away, but are you interested in learning more? Are you able to introduce me to your VP of sales? Something like that. And I found that CROs are more receptive to doing that. So my touches along the way are a mix of, depending on their engagement with my email, if they're not opening it at all, I'm just continuing to call an email like normal. But if they're starting to engage in opening it, that changes my strategy with how I'm approaching those next steps in the sequence. This is fascinating. So you might have
0: a normal interest-based CTA in your first email where it's like, are you open to learning more or something like that? But then later in your sequence, you might ask for a referral instead. I'm curious, like, do you see a decent amount of success rates when you're saying, hey, I know this isn't on your plate. Can you intro me to your VP of sales? Like, does that work decently often?
2: It does. And I think when you get to like day 10 or day 12, you know the CRO like I know my CRO, she's probably not getting on the phone with me, but she might point me to a director of sales so I can turn into a champion. And that's a win for me. That's what it's about, right? I want to I turn someone into a champion who then now later on can bring this to their CRO and that CRO knows me. So it's something that I use, especially later down the sequence. If, I, if it's apparent that this person's not going to talk to me, I can start calling people out. Hey, can you introduce me to your VP of sales, John Smith? And I think they appreciate you calling it out by name. Anthony, when you're thinking about the messaging as it goes to at
0: the line, for example, or below the line, how does that change when you're working with your SDRs or someone else?
2: Yeah, I love to call out direct quotes from the 10K. Hey, your CEO said this because I know that if the CEO is talking about it, that means their VP is talking about it. Like if they need to build more pipeline, Every team meeting, hey, how your how's your activity? How's your pipeline? So I'm calling that out. I'm still talking about the above the line initiative, but in that second line where maybe with the CRO, I'm talking about how to build more pipeline, maybe the problem changes to maybe an, a, a below the line problem. Hey, your reps aren't as productive as they could be because that's something they feel. Your CRO may not care about it, but the below the line person cares about it. So long as you're still referencing how it could help With that above the line initiative that you've uncovered. So I think that second line of text in the email for the problem statement changes depending on the persona, right? Like if you're selling to different personas or different business units, and it changes based on where you're at in the organization, high or low.
1: So, Anthony, two sort of tactical questions on the LinkedIn front. One, that message you're sending them where it says, hey, I shot you an email and left you a voicemail. I wanted to put a face to a name. Is that a LinkedIn, like in mail, or is that the connection request copy? And do you think that makes a difference?
2: Connection request. And I think it does. I find that like in mail is like hit or miss, but connection requests are money. Like they see it. And if there's a note on it and you sent an email on a call or, and you, and you made a call, like, they're more likely to respond to it.
1: Beautiful. And then you talked about if they accept, you start engaging in their content without saying, hey, come buy outreach. You might just comment on an article they shared and say, hey, this was an insightful share for A, B, and C. If they have not shared content in the last like six months, but they've posted stuff before, are you going back to that old stuff and engaging? I I sell to law firms, and sometimes the last time the lawyer has posted on LinkedIn was 2020. And I'm like, I see value in getting their attention. But I'm also like, is that really, really weird? Like commenting on an old Instagram photo of Armand's from when he was in college.
2: Yeah, it's funny. There is a VP of marketing who hadn't posted in three months, but she didn't accept my connection request. So I went to her profile, viewed it, and then just went to her last activity and then commented on it just so she would get the notification and saw that I was there because she may have just missed my connection request. So I think it's all just about like building the awareness that you exist. In that case, another way to get around that is finding like a recruiter at the company if they posted a job posting. And I actually had my manager comment on the job posting and I tagged like the CRO, hey, just commenting for visibility. Again, all I care about is that they know I exist. Not asking for anything, just commenting for visibility, I think goes a long way because I didn't have to do that. And I'm just like not asking for anything. I'm just giving and helping.
0: Anthony. In this vein of working accounts organically, coming back to accounts, refreshing content, you only have 40 accounts. So let's say you get to the end of your sequence. My guess is you're probably gonna have to reach out to these people again sometime this year. And so what's your process for refreshing or re-engaging with accounts?
2: Yeah, so this is when I take a deeper dive into like historical data. So when's the last time we've talked to them what was the reason they didn't buy? Are they on a competitor? I got to get a little bit more creative now, right? So if they're maybe, they haven't answered, I've got to reevaluate my messaging in the first place. Maybe I have to dial in my hypothesis more. Maybe things have changed. Maybe there's new executive hires, right? So I think it's really important to, you don't have to put them back into a sequence right away, but you want to refresh your research, Make sure that because thirty a lot, a lot can change in 30 days for SaaS companies if you're selling to them. So it's really important to go back to the account plan. What I also like to do is if it's a big bet for me when I'm only selling to 40 accounts, I'll often meet with my VP on, hey, this is a big bet for me. What mutual connections do we have here at the C-level? What are different creative ways mutual investors that I can break into this account. And so it's kind of like back to square one after you've uh, finished up the sequence and then reinventing your messaging based on that new research that you've done. Because again, you may not get it all in the first swoop. You may have missed something. So it's, it's always good sometimes to go back and refine your messaging and your research a second time around.
0: Do you think about cool off periods or, hey, I reached out to this person three days ago, I'm gonna wait a month or anything like that?
2: I give it about a week because if they're engaging with my content that I'm sending them, I don't want to wait a month. I know that they're opening it. They're there. That's still like warm to me, but maybe I'm missing something here. It's probably that I'm missing something and maybe I'm not, but I always take ownership of it. Maybe I'm missing something. So let me, let me go back and see like how strong are my emails? Did I make enough calls? Did I leave good voicemails? Did I really run through my process? Do I need to tap in my SDR? Do I need to have my VP send a note? Like accounts like this and reaching out to a CRO, sometimes I'll even have my CRO send a note to break into an account if they know someone mutual. So I don't like to let it go any longer than a week so long as they're engaging. Now, if they're completely silent, like it doesn't, it's, I'm kind of indifferent because they've never opened anything. It's not warm or cold at that point. What do you do
1: if you see none of your emails are getting open? None of your calls are getting returned? Like either your email domain is blocked or like they're just sending all of your stuff to the trash. Does that change your strategy?
2: Yeah, it definitely changes my strategy. I have to figure out and like, be honest with myself. Hey, like, are my emails just not making it through because they have like an insane email blocker. Maybe I need to pick up the phone more. I should make sure that they're still at the company. I think oftentimes reps will forget to check LinkedIn. I had a deal that I was working and they went silent and I forgot to check LinkedIn, but the CRO left. Oh, no, duh. Things got put on hold. So don't forget to check LinkedIn to make sure that people are still at the company or maybe they made a new hire that they're just like not seeing your notes and making sure you got the right contact info, all that stuff. But yeah, it's, you have to have an honest conversation. If you're not, if you're not getting any opens, like probably a you problem and you need to figure it out. The things that I described are good ways to kind of combat it.
1: And then what do you do when they're stonewalling you where they do respond, but they're like, Hey, We use Groove or we have an internal tool we built for this. We already are all set in this area. Do you have a way that you handle an objection like that?
2: Yeah. So if it's on the phone, I love to say like, oh, like, well, sounds, sounds like everything's perfect. Kind of like humanize it. And it's like, Anthony, not everything's perfect. And I know Josh Braun talks about this a lot. Email is a little bit more difficult, but you need to come back with a compelling customer story. Oh, that's interesting. XYZ company recently just switched over from Conversica. These were the reasons and they were able to do X. I'm curious, how's that land with you? So people often think that they need to go into pitch mode, but I always like to ask a question with an objection. But if it's on a competitor, you need to make sure you're telling a relevant story. And if you have a customer that is a competitor of theirs that switched over recently, that's even better. So I think whenever I'm on the phone, I'm answering objections with questions doing discovery, keeping them on the phone. And then on email, I'm making sure I'm telling a customer relevant story. And that's where that research comes into play. Well, it's like, well, I read on your 10K that you guys missed your number by 30%. And just like calling it like it is. Outreach, were directly tied to driving revenue. So I think calling that out again and keeping them honest is crucial.
1: Anthony, this has been phenomenal. We got to move ourselves to the final question. And the final question is this. We have talked about a lot of wonderful things salespeople should be doing. Now let's talk about a shouldn't. The last question is, what is one bad habit that you see a lot of salespeople exhibiting that you think they need to break because it's hurting them more than it's helping them?
2: Yeah, I think a lot of salespeople are winging it when it comes to everything. So they don't have a framework for how they do discovery. They don't have a framework for how they're prospecting. They don't have a framework for how they're doing account plans and they don't have a framework for how they're managing their time. And so I think a one bad habit that reps can, and SDRs can break is make sure that you have a system in place for everything that you're doing and be intentional behind it. Otherwise, it's really hard to track progress and make improvement by just kind of winging it every day. So that's kind of the the big piece of advice that I would give that I struggled with in the past and have seen the biggest uh, change in, in my day to day.
1: Beautiful. Anthony, thank you so much for joining us. This was a great episode. Everybody stick around for a 60 second recap from me and Armand coming up soon.
2: Here's my
0: secret to being a sales superhuman. It's
1: auto reminders for everything. If I expect Did you know that 60% of proposals are viewed on a mobile device, which means if you're sending a text stock or a slide deck, the formatting is going to look really ugly and you're going to make a bad impression. Luckily, our friends at Quiller are here to help. Quiller pages are built on the web, which means they're mobile responsive and they actually look good on a cell phone. And Quiller is having an offer right now to upgrade your proposal from an ugly tech stock to a Quiller page for free. So you can see what your boring proposal looks like as a beautiful Quiller page. There is a link in the show notes to take advantage of the offer.
0: Your top four takeaways from this episode with Anthony Natoli include number one, the triple touch. It's one, two, three, email, phone, LinkedIn. Number two, when you have your subject lines, you should not have subject lines that say cheese. That's Nick's favorite and then have nothing to do in the email about cheese or how it solves the problem. So use something you know about them. It doesn't have to be related to the problem you solve, but then you have to segue it to the problem you solve. Which brings us to number three. When you are reaching out to people above the line, you should probably realize that for a CRO, they don't care about clicks and sequences and reply rates. And so you should focus on bigger picture priorities and ask provoking questions around how they plan on doing things like building more pipeline. And then lastly, number four, when you're coming to the point where you have to refresh an account, don't just smack them over the head with the same message you used the first time. Now you got to get a little bit creative. You might look at historical data. You might have your CRO send a message. Whatever you do, change the approach, especially if you have a tight book. All righty, Nick, how can people
1: help us out here? So if you didn't know, Outreach is a sponsor of this podcast. And Anthony works at Outreach. And so if you liked this episode, I want Outreach to know that. So if you enjoyed this episode, send me a DM on LinkedIn and say, I loved Anthony's episode on your podcast, because that is something I'm going to show to the folks at Outreach. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on the show.